Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. I'm doubting if um, many of you have heard of Angela Lee Duckworth. I just love her name, Angela Lee Duckworth. That's an awesome name. And... Uh, and unless you watch a, a lot of TED Talks, you won't have heard about Angela. But Angela is very interesting to me because she has done a, a lot of research into what makes people succeed and how, how a person actually gets there. And she has an, an interesting story of her own. She was, uh, she was working uh, in, a, in a high-flying consulting company in her early and mid-20s, and then at age 27, Angela dropped out of, of, of the whole business world to go and become a teacher, a seventh-grade teacher, and teach math in middle school, which she did for a number of years. And she did what all teachers typically do. She, um, she gave tests and she wrote quizzes and then she entered the scores and she evaluated her students. But after a number of years of teaching, she became convinced that it wasn't the most talented students who were succeeding at learning math in her classroom. It wasn't the students that, that did the best on the standardized tests or who showed the highest IQ. And so she became curious about this. Why, why is it that some of the most talented students, she could see they had the talent and the ability to do it, were not succeeding in her math class, whereas some who had less talent, tested lower on all kinds of tests, got extremely good grades in her math class. And so this intrigued her after a number of years of teaching in her early 30s. Angela finally determined that she needed to learn more about just how to, to help students succeed. So she went back to school to become a psychologist. And uh, after years of, of study, she actually became a professor and a research professor so that she could study this subject that had so grabbed hold of her heart. And she went to all kinds of different places to study this. So she and her fellow researchers went to West Point. She tried to pick places that had very high demands. So obviously, West Point Academy would be one of those. She went to the National Spelling Bee because she wanted to study young people and, and what it took to stay in the competition for a long time. Uh, she studied, because she had had this experience herself, she studied rookie teachers in their first year of teaching to find out why do some stick to it and get through and succeed as teachers, and, and why is it that others give up in their, in their first year of, of trying to teach? What, what was it? She even went into the corporate world that she had been in and started, started to study salespeople. And, and after a number of these studies and a, a long time of doing some research, she came up with a word that she said really is the word that seems to capture what the research was telling them. And that word, a very short word, is the word grit. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the word grit before, but grit means a certain sort of stick If you see our title, for example, today, it's perseverance. Grit is really a very short term for the same thing. Grit and perseverance essentially mean the same thing. What she discovered is whether it was a student, a salesman, someone at West Point Academy, someone in a national spelling bee, if they had grit, they were far more likely to succeed in life or at this particular endeavor. And they they even defined what grit was. So here's a definition if you want to copy it down somewhere on on the page. She came to call it this. It is the steadfast pursuit of a task or a mission or even a journey, a task, a mission, or a journey in spite of obstacles, discouragement, or distraction. Now, I don't know about you, but tasks, missions, and journeys in the face of obstacles, discouragements, and distractions, you know what that sounds like to me? Life. It sounds to me like the things that most of us face all the time. We're on a journey through this life, and in a fallen world, Yeah, we have our happy times, we have our joyful times, we have our times where we feel extremely blessed and and, and, and life is going successfully for us. Just a few weeks ago, we studied David's success and I think I, I told you several weeks ago, this was a time where everything David did, it, he couldn't do wrong. Everything turned to gold and he was going through an exceptionally wonderful time in his life. This is the time when he defeated Goliath. And and when he and the Israelite soldiers returned from the battlefield, the women were singing. You know, Saul has killed his thousands. Our king has killed his thousands. But David, David has killed tens of thousands. Pretty soon he's married to the king's daughter. And he's living in the palace. He's eating at the table. He becomes... First, uh, an excellent soldier that wins victory after victory and then apparently gets bumped up to being almost a member of the king's cabinet. Everything is going right for David. And then the worm turns. I love that expression. It's an old expression that a, that a professor of mine used to use. The worm has turned. And certainly today, that's what we get to see. We get to see a completely different David, who is constantly having to battle discouragement and distraction and overcome obstacles in his life. So I want to dive into the story, and I'm going to do it in kind of an unusual way today. Instead of looking at 1 Samuel that we've been looking at, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 24, if you want to open up your Bibles to there, but I, want to, I don't want to start there, I want to start in the Psalms. Because what's beautiful about the Psalms is that eight of the Psalms give us a peek into David's inner life as he's going through these obstacles and distractions and discouragements. These were written, these eight Psalms were written while the events that we're going to study today are are taking place. And so we not only in 1 Samuel get to, to hear about what's going on with David, 
through the Psalms, we get, to, we get to actually see what was going on in David's mind as well. And it's pretty interesting to take a peek. So we're going to read Psalm 59, and then I'm going to tell you why David is feeling this way. It starts this way, deliver me from my enemies, O God, be my fortress against those who are attacking me, deliver me from evildoers, and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me for no offenses or sin of mine. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. So Psalm 59 is the very first psalm of the eight that I mentioned earlier that David writes. And it's not really a long time after he has defeated Goliath. He's gone through all these successes that I I mentioned earlier, marrying the the king's daughter and and being elevated up through the army and, and sitting with the king for dinner daily. All those things have happened. And then all of a sudden, one day, when he's there to help the king, because as we've told you in past series, in past sermons, David was also an, an amazing musician. And, and he had this gift to be able to, to, to play the music and, and calm the king's heart. One day while David is doing that, the king is frustrated by all the talk about how great David is. And his anger and his frustration boils over and he hurls a spear at David. That becomes the first of many attempts that Saul makes on David's life. To the, to the point where David runs, and as we heard from, from Pastor Dan last week, and, and talks to Saul's son, Jonathan, who has become his best friend, and tells Jonathan, hey, brother, your, your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan is like, no, he can't be trying to kill you. I know he loves you like everybody else does. Uh, you're, you're making this up in your head. Don't be afraid. My dad doesn't want to kill you. Well, then we learn that, in fact, Saul is trying to kill him, and Jonathan has to come face to face with that and get out of his denial and understand that, yeah, yeah, my dad is trying to kill David. Saul actually comes to David's house to hunt him down, and if it weren't for David's wife, Saul's daughter, being part of the plot, David would have been captured and killed on the spot, but she helps him escape by kind of doing a, a, what we heard about in the recent prison escape, where he gets away and she builds like a little fake body in the bed to, to, to be able to say he's sick and he's not here, and then the soldiers discover that she's lying. She herself has to lie her way out of that by saying, David threatened to kill me if I didn't do this for him. From there, David talks to Jonathan. That's the story that we heard last week. And then he goes on the run. He's a fugitive. And Psalm 59 is written while David is a fugitive. And he goes from pillar to post. He starts out in a, in a, in a little place, almost a monastery-like place, about a mile from Jerusalem, where the priests stayed. And it's, a, it's, it's got a funny little name, this little village called Nob. And he runs there and he starts by telling a lie. He says, Saul has, has sent me on a mission, 
And it was a rush mission. I had to get out of town. And he tells the, the head priest that he needs some food for himself and his troops. And if possible, he needs a sword. So David's on the run. Now I want you to think for just a moment. Here's what struck me. Just a few chapters earlier, we have read about this young man who looks at all the other troops and says, why are you afraid? Why don't you go down there and kill this guy, Goliath? What, what are you waiting for? And he's bold. He's decisive. He, he doesn't let fear rule in his heart. And he's just honest and straightforward and transparent. Now, after a few spears have been aimed at his left and right ears and his forehead, he's a little shaken. He's a little afraid. And so he begins to get inside of his own head. And, and in his fear, he starts to resort to human tactics. Instead of simply trusting God for protection, and remember, God had already sent Samuel to anoint him, David lies. Saul has sent me on this mission. He, he grabs the, the bread, which was sacred bread for offerings in the temple, the, the table which was called the showbread or the bread of the presence, and, and the priest gives those to him and he shares those with the troops that he has, a few dozens of troops. And, and then this is the thing that really interests me is that when he asks the priest for a sword, do you know what the priest says? I only have one sword here. And it's the sword of Goliath. Why I think that's so intriguing is I see God's hand at work in that. Trying to remind David of that boldness that he had had just a short while before this. And yet David takes the sword, he says, that's a great sword, and he goes. Now, the whole story continues. I'm going to run through it real quickly so that we can get on to making our points. But you have to see that the David who was so successful, where everything he, he did turned to gold, now has become a person who is facing one obstacle, one disappointment, one discouragement, and one failure, inner failure, failure of his heart and his courage and his faith after another. From there, he runs to Gath, which is a city in the Philistine territory, and the people of Gath were the enemies of Israel. David offers to fight for the king of Gath against his own people, the people of Israel. And at first it seems that he and his men are warmly welcomed, but then the king of Gath's troops start to come to him and say, why are we letting this guy, why are we letting this guy fight with us? Isn't he the one about whom the song is sung? He's killed tens of thousands of Philistines. I don't know if this is the guy we want on our team, king. And when David becomes aware that these things are being said behind his back, when he becomes aware of the rumors and the backstabbing that's going on, he becomes, the Bible says, very afraid. And you know what he does? 
He starts to act like a crazy person. He starts slobbering and tremoring and and he had to know what effect this would have on the Philistines because back in this day, when a Philistine person or, or many people in ancient times saw, saw someone acting like a complete, out-of-control, crazy person, their first thought was not mental illness. Their first thought was demon possession. And so now they've got a person who's demon-possessed. And in fact, some of the Philistine people believe that if that person were to be cut, say, in battle with a sword, every single drop of blood that this person, demon-possessed person, would shed would become another demon that would possess another person. They did not want David around And so David is chased away. And from there, his life is a life of being a man on the run, going from one cave, first the cave of Adullam in this kind of beautiful green plain in Israel, down to finally being chased into what's called the wilderness, which if you want a good picture in your mind of what the wilderness looked like, just think the desert outside of Las Vegas. Don't think Las Vegas. Think the desert outside of Las Vegas. Deep canyons, so deserty that nothing can grow. Now, in some of those canyons, however, there's water flowing and, and a place where the troops can get something to drink. There's a game that comes down. So it's a good place for them to shelter and a very difficult place for Saul to find them. But David is a man who is constantly on the run. And on the side walls of many of these canyons, what you found were caves. Dozens, if not hundreds of caves that his men could hide in and be safe. Do you see the contrast? Between this story about David and and now look back at Psalm 59. This is a man who's feeling the pressure. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me? Fierce men conspire against me. For no offense or sin of mine, Lord, I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. I don't know what your inner life is like when there are a lot of external pressures going on in your life. But I know for myself, there are times when my prayers sound like this, where I'm afraid. And I go to God, and I want you to to underline these words, deliver me, because those are the key words. What are the things that are pressuring and pressing you right now? That are making you feel that you are under attack, that you are somehow being assaulted. Now, it doesn't have to be a King Saul, but what is your, quote, King Saul? Is it pressure at work from a boss? Is it pressure from having no work because you've been let go? 
Is it pressure at home because relationship with your, your spouse is not going well or your, your relationship with your children seems to be going against you? What is your Saul? And, and the reason it's important to ask this is we all have our Saul's. And, and these outside pressures can exert a, a lot of emotion on us and, and make us feel like we are completely under attack and crush our spirit ultimately. So I want you to write that down. Powerful external pressures conspire to crush our spirit. This is important because we're going to see that what David is undergoing and often what we undergo in life is, first of all, things from the outside. What are the things that are coming at you from outside of yourself that are putting a lot of pressure on you? But now we're also going to see from David that it doesn't stop with things from the outside. It, it continues with things that are, are, are produced from the inside. And, and let's take a look at the next psalm. So we'll move on to another one of the psalms that David writes while he's running from one cave to another. All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? What David is reflecting here is his, as I've said already, inner life. And what we can see is tremendous fear, tremendous anxiety. And that's what external pressures will ultimately do. They will start to eat away at our heart until our hearts are filled with not faith, but fear instead. So I want you to write this down too. Internal fears threaten our peace and confidence. Now here's the question. When the external pressures mount... And when the internal fears well up, how do we respond? And I want you to go back to the title of this message. What Angela Lee Duckworth discovered is lots of people simply give up. They stop trying. And instead of persevering or showing grit, they do other things. Things that they think in the moment due to their fears and the pressures from outside are smart or wise, but are they really the wisest course? Are they really what's going to lead to you getting the goals that you want to have in your life? And, and what are some of those things that people try? Well, we can, David runs right down the line of them. So let's take a look. I just mentioned to you about David running to Nob. This is the first stop on David's journey as he's now running in fear from Saul and his men. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is Ahimelech trembling? Because up till now and for all Ahimelech knows, David is one of the most powerful people in the kingdom. He has no clue 
that David is on the run from Saul. In Ahimelech, the high priest's mind, this guy is a full-on representative of Saul and needs to be treated with complete deference. That's how powerful David was before he went on the run, that even the high priest trembled to see him. That's what will happen when you get one success after another after another. He trembled when he met him, and he asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered to him, elect the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. What's David doing? He starts out by telling lies. When the pressure and the fear mount, we begin to look to our own human wisdom for solutions. And that's what David is doing. I want you to write in that first bullet point, lies. I've learned over very many years of doing pastoral coaching and counseling that one of the the most important self-protection mechanisms that we use is lying. We lie, first of all, to ourselves. Oh, it's, it's not that bad. The pressures aren't as incredible as they might seem to others. But as we're lying to ourselves, we start to use coping mechanisms that others can see. Do you know what they always say about addicts, for example? that an addict's true problem is that they're liars. They can't be honest with themselves that that they are caught in this addiction. But what they're doing is they're self-medicating because of the external pressures and the internal fears welling up within them. And and therefore, they need something to still that, to calm that, to, to try to find just a little bit of peace. Try to get an addict to admit that they're an addict. You have a tough job ahead of you. Because almost every addict is in self-denial. These are the kinds of things that David is starting to go down the path of. And it starts with lies. And it moves from there to what I like to call the three F's. When you're afraid and you're feeling a lot of pressure, you're either going to Fight, that's what David wants to do. Where's the sword? I need that sword of Goliath. He goes and he offers his services where? To the king of Gath. I'll fight with you. Come on, let's go together and defeat Saul. When that doesn't work, what does he resort to? Flight, I'm just gonna go on the run. How many of you are under situations right now where there's constant fighting going on all around you, in your home, at your place of work, where you just wish you had a sword of Goliath. How many of you are going through situations right now where you're thinking to yourself, and maybe you haven't even told your your spouse, your best friend, your boss, I just gotta get out of here. I cannot take it anymore. And you're thinking to yourself, July is the very best time of all to move. Right? 
That's a little crazy for if you live in Arizona. July's not the best time to move. I'm just saying. Do you know that our country is filled with pockets where when people want a fresh start, they, they tend to go to these certain areas within our country because they know lots of people have moved to this area to get a fresh start? People who have fled to their own cave of Adullam because the pressures mounted and the internal fears got to be so much that they just said, I can't handle this anymore. I'm out of here. That's what David is doing. And then there's freeze. David had his freeze moment too, but it didn't look like a freeze moment. You have to understand human emotions. When David froze because of his fear, you know what it looked like? It looked like him acting like a, a, a crazy man. I, I don't know to run. I can't fight this king. I'm way outnumbered. And so what does he do? I'll just stay here and act like I'm a nut and see what they do. He froze. All of us have these moments, and I'm standing up here as a person who raises my hand and, and will tell you I have had my fight moments, I've had my flight moments, and I've had my freeze moments. And as people who have to understand, this is how we deal with pressure and fear. This is the human way of dealing with pressure and fear. We need to be able to recognize what's happening. Am I tempted to slant the truth, to cover things up that I'm doing, to self-medicate, and then to lie about it? Am I, am I constantly involved in, in fights and, and flights and, and freezing up in moments? Maybe it's time to look at our lives and say, I think I've got a lot of pressures going on. And I think I've got a lot of fears welling up from within. And then finally, in the story that we're about to study from 1 Samuel 24, we get to see a very interesting thing happen. And I think this happens too. Trying to read the tea leaves is your next fill-in. Trying to read the tea leaves. I'm going to save that one for a moment because we had a passage with that one in a second. Flip the page. Here's another psalm that David wrote while he was fleeing. And, and this one is so important. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Do you see the beauty of that? This David who is praying, Lord, deliver me, who is praying, they conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, they hope to take my life. We read those words, is also able in the same moment to write this beautiful psalm that says, but I know the Lord is close to me. And if my heart is broken, and if I'm crushed in spirit, God is with me. Remember what we called the very definition of success two weeks ago? And we use Psalm 23 as a beautiful illustration because David wrote Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, David starts. I shall lack nothing. 
That same David, when he's crushed and broken, writes, the Lord is close to me. In fact, he's close to everyone who's brokenhearted. And he saves us when we're crushed in spirit. The righteous person, meaning the person who trusts in God by faith, may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. David shouts out in faith, my God is still here. My God is present with me. Now, this is a man who, who has lived, he, his life was a thousand years before Christ was born. Imagine how much more you know this is true than David did. Being able to watch the grit of Jesus' love for you. You want to talk about grit? You, you want to talk about a person who had a steadfast pursuit of a task or mission or journey in spite of obstacles, discouragements, or distractions? Who better to talk about than Jesus? Whose love for you caused him to pursue you all the way to stretching out his hands and having them nailed to a cross. Whose love for you caused him to bleed. Not to create demonic forces by any means, but to believe to create forgiveness and hope. And he did that because he has a gritty love for you, a love that is going to continue. It's, it's a love that endures and perseveres all the way through his death to the resurrection, that moment of tremendous hope that all of us have. David, a thousand years before Jesus was even born, trusted that his God has that same gritty love for him. And can I ask you, brother and sister, do you know that Jesus' love, God's love for you is persevering, steadfast, sure, gritty? I want you to, if you go home today with any thought in your mind, any single thought in your mind from this message, it's, that, it's this, and you can write it down on your notes. God's love for me is gritty. He's not gonna give up. And that's why he succeeds. And even if you've turned your back on him, even if you've ignored him, he is gonna continue to come after you and find you just as he came after David and found him, and delivered him from all of his troubles. It's a beautiful passage. And I want you to know, if you feel brokenhearted, if the pressures have grown and mounted, if you feel crushed in your spirit because of the, the fears inside of your heart that are constantly working and crushing your spirit, I want you to know that because of his gritty love for you, the Lord is close to you. I want you to to write this down, David is a beautiful example of perseverance and grit because David persevered in trusting God for deliverance. Now what happens as David is hiding out in, in, in these caves is kind of an interesting thing and if, if you study the, the geography of this place, the, it's the wilderness of Judea where David finally ends up hiding out because Saul keeps chasing David deeper and deeper. And, and, and David has to find anywhere he can to hide. And so you have this very desert place where if you look up top, it's, it's barren. 
with hardly any plants and meandering canyons coming down from the high country of Judea where you can, you can hide. And, and lots of caves, we, we can understand this because we live in Arizona. In the bottom of those canyons are creeks. Well, David, David is hiding out there because it's very tough to find him there, but also there's plentiful game and water for himself and his men. And by the way, his, his group has grown from dozens now to hundreds. And so they're hiding out And and some of these caves, these dozens, even hundreds of caves in this wilderness area of Judea can hide in in and of themselves hundreds, if not thousands of people. They're huge caves. And and so David and his men are, are hiding in this cave. Now I want you to think about this. Is this coincidence? That if there are hundreds of these caves and all of these convoluted canyons that Saul in pursuing David would decide that he needs to relieve himself in just the moment when he is passing David's cave and he actually goes up into this cave on the side of the hill to relieve himself. I'm using the nice term. He goes in there and David and his men read the tea leaves. What do you think they're thinking? God's talking to us, dude. Look, there's hundreds of caves. And God's brought Saul right here. And we're all here and he's all alone and it's dark. He won't see it coming. And they say it. God has surely delivered Saul into your hands today. Let's read. These are David's men talking. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, when you're under pressure from outside, when you're having fears well up from inside, you know what's gonna happen to you? You're going to look at your circumstances and you are going to be convinced, just like David's men were, God's telling me something here. God's teaching me. God's saying to me, I got to do this. God told me to run. God told me to fight. God told me to act like a crazy person. And you will try to read the tea leaves. You will try to see in advance God's direction in your life. And here's what David teaches us. Events can tell you one thing, but God's word can tell you another. And do you see the phrase that David keeps repeating? This is the Lord's anointed. And if he is the Lord's anointed, no matter how much he is attacking me, it's my job to love him and protect him. That's what God says. Sometimes in life, as you're under pressure, and you're feeling those fears well up, you are going to be so tempted to look at the circumstances and the events of your life and and tell yourself, reading the tea leaves, God wants me to do X. 
and forget to go back into God's word and check, did God ever tell you to do X? And maybe as in David's case, you're going to find if you go back into God's word, God actually told you to do the opposite of X. Can I tell you how many times I've, I've, I've talked to people who said, it seemed so clear that God was telling me to do this. And then I open the Bible with them and I say, well, actually this is what God says to do in his moral law, in his will. And this is how you ought to have acted instead. This is so important. This is why we study the Bible day in and day out because we're so tempted to read events. Read the Bible instead as David does and he does the right thing. He doesn't kill Saul. I want you to write this. David not only persevered in trusting God for deliverance, he also persevered in obeying the Lord's will, even when the situation could have contributed to doing the opposite of that. And then finally this. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. He's now ta- David's talking to Saul. And in the middle of talking to Saul and saying, hey, hey, brother, see this? This is a little piece of your robe. Look down there. Notice that I cut it off. Saul looks down, and David starts talking, and he says, I could have killed you, but instead I'm trusting the Lord to vindicate my cause, to defend me. That's what he's saying here. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. David persevered in displaying undeserved kindness. And brothers and sisters, that's the kind of perseverance that God is looking for from us. Perseverance in all three of these areas, grit in all three of these areas, grit in trusting God to deliver you, grit in persevering and obeying God's will, no matter what circumstances and tea leaves are saying, grit in displaying undeserved kindness toward those who are attacking you and trying to harm you. And when you look at those, I hope in every one of those you could cross out David and write Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, think of Jesus persevering and trusting God for deliverance. As you you think about Jesus' willingness to go all the way to the cross for you, do you see in David a little picture of Jesus persevering in doing that and obeying God's will for our salvation and our deliverance from sin, from guilt, from shame, from eternal death. And do you see, especially, and I hope you do, Jesus' grit in displaying undeserved kindness to you, a sinner, who deserves, like I do, to enter hell for eternity for all the sins that I've committed, but instead, through faith in Christ, have the promise of heaven.
Undeserved kindness, we call that grace, and we sang about it earlier. It's the most amazing thing there is. Truly it is. Because in place of what we deserved, God has instead, through Christ, given us what he loves to give us, and that is forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your gritty love, and we see this displayed as David goes from from one bad situation to another. Here's a man, Lord, who, who just a short time before could do no wrong, and now it seems like he can do no right. And Lord, some of us are there. Some of us are in that position right now. We're feeling those external pressures from things in our lives. We're feeling the internal fears well up inside of us. And Lord, for those people who are in that position right now, in David's position, I pray that you would assure them once again that you are their deliverer, their savior, and that your love for them is truly gritty and that you are on this journey with them to the very end. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and for the cross and for the gritty love that he showed in sacrificing his own life for us. It's in his name we pray, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Bible contends that a relationship with God really is not much different from success in any other area, whether it's education or West Point or spelling bees. You may not feel like you're a very talented believer or that your faith IQ is very high, but grit, grit will go a long way in helping you develop a, a, a tight and a close relationship with Jesus. And where does that grit come from? A simple source. It comes from taking a look at the gritty love that God first has for you. And as long as you can, as David did, keep coming back to the realization and the truth that even when your love for God is not super gritty, God's love for you always has amazing grit to go along with his amazing grace. Let me send you out with uh, the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. If you want somebody to pray with you, just stay in your seat. The prayer team will be right down. We'll see you out on the patio.